You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. My name is Joe Hopkins. With me is Mike Chappell, and we have quite the show for you today. The Colts came up just short against the world champion Buccaneers. We're going to recap that uh, that eventful game that that was. We'll discuss takeaways from that game, plenty to talk about uh, regarding what happened in that one. And then we'll also check in on the Colts' playoff hopes as uh, you know they have just a few more weeks here to go in the regular season. But uh, before we jump into it here, Mike, how are you doing today? I know another tough loss for the Colts. Do these weigh on you as much as they weigh on me? Or are you used to it after all these years? Yeah, I've kind of I've kind of gotten over carrying them too long. Although I, I say that, but I'm still not I'm still a little PO'd over the uh, Baltimore and Tennessee overtime game. So to say they don't weigh on you would be a lie. But I I've, I've obviously gotten over them quicker that than, than you have. Yeah, you you have to after all these years. If you keep them with you, I mean, you would just be weighed down. So uh, let's just go ahead and get into it here. The six and five Colts host the 7-3 and three Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Colts red hot coming into this one. They had just whooped up on the Buffalo Bills. And Tom Brady and the Bucs start with the ball. But the defense comes out ready, and they force a three and out. Tampa Bay would shank the punt. It would travel just 14 yards, plus a holding call during that punt. Gives the Colts another 10 yards. All in all, the Colts start their first possession at Tampa Bay's 30-yard line. But Michael Pittman Jr. would slip coming out of his break on a third down pass, and the Colts would fail to get a first down on this possession. They settle for a field goal. Michael Bagley connects from 45 yards out, 3 to nothing, Indianapolis. But man, after a drive that starts out on the 30, you're hoping for more. Bucks with the ball now, and they're driving into the Colts' territory. When on third down, Chris Godwin catches a short pass and heads up field until Darius Leonard. Does his signature punch out. The ball comes loose, recovered by the Colts at their 34. I mean, uh, Darius Leonard does it yet again. I, I feel like we keep bringing this up, Mike. I'm not sure what more there is to say about it other than it's amazing how good he is at punching the ball loose. I think that's five this year. And it's amazing when you watch replays, you see it coming. I mean, he's sizing up the the, the running back or, the, or let's say the ball carrier and you see him ball up his fist, and he's just very, very adept at, you know, putting putting fist to football. And it's kind of crazy that that the ball carriers aren't more aware, I guess. Although I guess with so much going on during a play, you you just you're just not so aware of that. But it's uh, you know we're way beyond this just being one of those happenstance things. This, he, he's, he's created an art form with this, and uh, he just keeps piling. What, what is that? I think that's 10 takeaways in 12 games by Darius. Yeah, Darius Leonard, certainly bothered by the ankle injury. Anyone who's been keeping up with hard knocks knows how much that ankle really is hurting Darius, but he was a beast in this one, uh, not only with the fumble, but I believe he ended up with 15 total tackles in this game as well. So Darius Leonard doing all he can out there. Uh, Colts with the ball after Leonard gives them the turnover, but they would again fail to pick up a first down. This would start a streak of four straight three and outs between these two teams. So let's go ahead and pick things up 
with a couple minutes left in the first quarter. It's still three to nothing Colts on second and 10. Wentz finds Zach Pascal over the middle, but he's loose with the football. He's, he's fighting for first down yardage. The ball gets knocked out. It's recovered by the Buccaneers. The Colts offense really did not come out in sync in the first quarter. They had four possessions, 11 plays that gained just 19 yards and zero first downs. Tampa Bay takes over at Indy's 34, and a heavy dose of Leonard Fournette gets them into the end zone. 7-3, to three, the Buccaneers take the lead. Early in the second quarter, Colts offense needs to wake up, and after picking up a first down, Carson Wentz goes deep to Ashton Doolin for a 62-yard touchdown. I mean, Mike, you can have, anyone, no one could have thrown this ball any better. It, 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 Doolin streaking down the field, and it just drops right into his hands, full stride. I mean, there's nothing the defender could have done about that one. Colts retake the lead, 7 to nothing. Brady and the Bucks looking to respond. The ball's near midfield when Brady goes deep to Scotty Miller. This pass is intercepted by Isaiah Rogers. Rogers basically round Miller. Ran Miller's route for him, and he also made a great catch near the sideline. Isaiah Rogers has really stepped up in year two for this Colts team, and Indianapolis takes over at their own 10. But now, it's like that Ashton Doolin deep pass really woke this offense up because they're clicking on this drive. They would work the ball down to Tampa Bay's 19. On third and two, Jonathan Taylor gains just one up yard up the middle. But you already know what Frank Wright is going to do on fourth down. He's going to go for it. Quarterback Sneap keeps the drive alive. The very next play, Carson Wentz finds Jack Doyle in the end zone from 15 yards out. Doyle had another big game in this one. He would end up leading the Colts and receiving for a second straight week. Colts up 10, 17 to 7 at this point in the ball game. But everyone watching knew that Tom Brady was going to answer a heavy dose of Rob Gronkowski and Leonard Fournette gets Tampa Bay down the field. Brady would then find Fournette from four yards out for Fournette's second touchdown of the game. Bucks pull within three, 17 to 14. Just under two minutes left to go in the half. Uh, Colts, at this point, they're not only looking to score, but they want to come up with a drive that at very least keeps Tom Brady from getting the ball back with enough time to do something before halftime because the Buccaneers have all three of their timeouts. After T.Y. Hilton moves the chains, Carson Wentz is sacked on first and 10, and the Bucs take one of their timeouts at this point, hoping that they get the ball back. An incompletion on second down sets up third and 15. Carson Wentz, big play in this one. He's able to scramble out to his right, outrun Ndamukong Su for a 16-yard pickup. Uh, just an absolutely massive first down picked up with Wentz's leg there. The Colts would drive into Tampa Bay territory and face another third and long. But Wentz finds Jack Doyle, who makes a great catch along the sideline. It's a 22-yard gain. We're looking at a first down at the 13 with roughly 40 seconds left to go. First down, incomplete to Zach Paschal. Second down. Carson Wentz finds Naheem Hines over the middle for a nine-yard pickup. Timeout called by the Colts with 29 seconds left. Third and one at the four-yard line. Wentz's pass for Pascal falls incomplete. 
Fourth down. I mean, did you even have to question? Colts are going for it. Wentz rolls to his right and finds T.Y. Hilton, who makes a terrific contested catch to the right side. It's a touchdown. Colts, 18 seconds left. I mean, Mike, boom, boom, boom. The Colts scored three straight touchdowns in the second quarter there. They don't leave uh, enough time for Tom Brady, who would just kneel to run out the clock after the T.Y. Hilton score. And, man, Hilton came up big on that drive, and that was a great catch. He had a defender draped all over him, great hands. Uh, and the Colts' offense is after a horrible first quarter. All of a sudden, second quarter now, they've really woken up. Yeah, it was really kind of funny. I mean, as you mentioned, first quarter, 11 plays for 19 yards and no first down. Second quarter, 26 plays, 216 and 13 first downs. And primarily because they, as Frank Wright mentioned, they, they got aggressive throwing the ball. First quarter, Wentz was 3 of 6 for 21 yards, really getting nothing done. And it, and you mentioned, too, the, this was a tough day for Michael Pittman, I thought. He had a couple of drops early in, in that first drive where he stumbled coming out of, out of his cut, which which many couldn't get to where the, he needed to be for where the ball was. Second quarter, Wentz was 13 of 18 for 176 and three touchdowns, and it's worth noting that uh, touchdown to T.Y., it's his first one of the season. So they, it, they have got to get T.Y. going, and may, maybe this game will kind of get him more involved, but uh, great second quarter after a pretty rotten first quarter. Yeah, T.Y. Hilton, he would, he would finish the day with just four catches for 28 yards, but uh, several of his catches did go for first downs. He seemed to make some key plays uh, at important moments in this game. Second half now, Colts start with the ball in a 10-point lead. They've scored on three straight drives, uh, and they're looking for more. Completions of 23 and 15 yards to Pittman get the Colts across midfield, and after a 15-yard pass to Kylan Granson, the Colts have first and 10 at the 20. But on first down here, Wentz's eight consecutive pass Eric Fisher can't handle the pass rush from Shaq Barrett. Barrett gets to Wentz as he be, is beginning his throwing motion. The ball comes loose, and it's picked up by Tampa Bay. This strip sack is a huge play in the game. It kills the scoring drive, and it has Tampa Bay taking over at their 35. Can the Colts get a stop? Well, it looked like they might for a second because Quiddy Pay had a sack on second down to set up third and eight. Pay's third straight game with a sack. The rookie really coming along nicely. But on that third and eight play, Tom Brady would find Rob Gronkowski for 11 yards to keep the drive going. Then a Rock Yassin pass interference call gives Tampa Bay 37 yards. Mike, the replay didn't show a ton on this one. Maybe a slight jersey grab on Miller. Uh, I don't know. I would, I've seen a lot worse not called for pass interference in this one. There was another call that we'll talk about when we get to it that was a little iffy. But what would you think of this pass interference call to really set Tampa Bay up? Yeah, I thought it was ticky-tack. I think if I, if, if I remember correctly, he did, he did have a uh, like a handful of jersey, but I didn't think it impeded. Miller at all, uh, but at the same time, I, we, we've seen some go the Colts' way over, over the past month, six weeks or so. So, any any more, I tell you, it, it's one reason to throw the ball this much is you're 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 going to get called with for, for DPIs on the other side. So, I thought it was ticky tacky, but 
I, I've kind of gotten used to these as, as the season's gone on. Yeah, that, that ticky-tacky penalty set Tampa Bay up at the 10-yard line, and Leonard Fournette would punch it in just three plays later. The Bucks pull within three, 24-21. That strip sack was really at least a 10-point swing. The Colts were in field goal range. They were at least going to come away uh, with the field goal. Instead, they get nothing, and Tampa Bay goes down the other end uh, to get the touchdown. So that's a huge play in this game, and the Colts are looking to respond after that series of events. Jack Doyle picks up a couple first downs on this drive. The Colts are looking at second and three from Tampa Bay's 46. Wentz decides to take a deep shot to Michael Pittman Jr., but he's intercepted by Tampa Bay. The safety, Antoine Winfield Jr., really played the ball better than Pittman in this one. Uh, You know, it's hard to blame Wentz for going to Pittman. He had one-on-one with his number one wide receiver against the safety, but it could have been a better throw. Pittman could have made a better play on it. At the end of the day, give give Winfield Jr. credit because he made a nice play for a defensive back as well. I mean, there's a lot of defensive backs in the NFL who don't come away with the interception on that play. Winfield did, and Mike, the Colts start the second half with two straight turnovers. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned the one earlier. The In my mind, if, you, if we start ranking plays of the game, the sack allowed by Eric Fisher was the one. You know, they're up 10, they're driving, and maybe go up 17, I mean, 31-14 maybe, the way they were moving the ball. I keep I, – I tweeted during the game that number one priority offseason for the Colts, left tackle. They so much wanted to be Eric Fisher, and too often he's shown you that, that, that there's no reason to reinvest in him. Uh, it, it's whenever the left tackle gets beat, bad things are going to happen. And that, that of all, of all the turnovers and all the things that happened, and we'll talk about Jonathan Taylor and care touches and all that. This is the one that just killed him. Just killed him. Uh, you, you just can't, and it'll be one of our takeaways, five takeaways or five turnovers. You can't do it. But especially when you're driving at the 20 yard line, you're at least going to get three. And you, you just can't leave points on the field like that. You just can't do it. Yeah, it's it's really tough to win that day. The Buccaneers would yet again take over at their 35-yard line after the Colts' turnover. Three straight Ronald Jones runs, and then Brady finds Rob Gronkowski for 32 yards. Uh, that gives us a first and 10 at Indy's 12-yard line. Brady's sacked by DeForest Buckner, who... Went down early in the game. It looked like it could have been a serious injury. Defoe able to get back out there and make his presence felt. That sack set up a second and 17. Nine-yard pass to Rob Gronkowski. Brings up third and eight. Huge play in this game. Tom Brady's looking for tight end Cam Bright in the end zone. The pass is short. Falls incomplete. Colts think they have a monster stop. But a pass interference call on TJ Carey. Bales Tampa Bay out. Looking at the replay, there was certainly contact, but it looked to be initiated by Brait, who's kind of running up and turning around, kind of box out the defender and create some space with his body there. Uh, however, it goes against the Colts. Uh, really a tough goal. Set up first and goal from the one. Very next play, Ronald Jones would run it in uh, to give the Buccaneers a 28-24 to lead with about a minute left in the third quarter. Uh, I kind of foreshadowed this call when I was talking to you earlier, Mike. 
What'd you think of this one? I mean, I thought this was the more egregious of the two calls because the Rocky Sin one, sure, maybe he did get a handful of jersey. The TJ Carey one, man, I, I think nine times out of ten, that's not a flag. Yeah, if nothing, it's probably, you know, you know, I thought Breit did, you know, initiate the contact. But more and more, I, I it seems like five to one, it's going to be DPI and not offensive pass interference on those plays. And I don't know, it's one of those where you can just sort, you can sort of harp on it and harp on it. But I've gotten so used to how these are being called that unless it's just extremely egregious, I just don't get too bent out of shape on it. But I tell you, I wouldn't have minded a push off, not a push off, but a break initiating contact. But again, that's not how they saw it. Yeah, not how they saw it. I think a lot of Colts fans would have argued for just leave that as a non-call. Um, but regardless, Colts, they're, they're losing in this one, and they need to answer. But multiple penalties would set them back. Indy punts after going three and out, and the defense needs to step up and get a stop. And they do. They force a three and out of their own to give the offense the ball back. But on the ensuing punt, Naheem Hines muffs the football. It's re- Recovered by Tampa Bay at the 19-yard line. Third turnover of the second half by the Colts. And and this one's just inexcusable. I mean, I get from time to time, your quarterback's going to get his arm hit as he's gearing up to pass. I get from time to time, you know, you throw a jump ball to Michael Pittman Jr. down the field. It's not always going to go your way. But to muff a punt, that's just really as self-inflicted as it gets. Um you know, and it puts the defense in a tough position here. Mike, Naheem Hines, I remember earlier in his career, they wanted him to return punts and kicks. Kind of got away from that a little bit as he struggled to field them. He's been doing better lately, but that old that old habit of muffing those punts came out on Sunday. Well, the second one this year, he had a muff punt against the Jets as well. And those are those are things you just – it's not like that, that, it, that it, he was – you know, in a congested area, he had room, and he, I almost thought he was calling for a fair catch. It was hard. It's just hard to see real quick. But regardless, you that that's just that, that's a free possession. It's just something that, you know, special teams, as good as they've been most of the season, you can't give any team free possessions. Like you said, the defense comes up and has a huge stop, and they're right back on the field. Not only that at the 19-yard line, so, you know, and you'll get into it. Kudos for the defense for for limiting the damage of, of the problem that Hines created. Yeah, I mean, that that was one of our keys to the game going into this, is you can't have these turnovers, you can't have these silly mistakes because the Buccaneers are too good of a, over, too good of a team to overcome that. Um, the defense, thankfully, would be able to come up with a stop on this one. Bucks get a first down. Uh, to set up goal to go from Indy 7. First down, they hold Leonard Fournette to just one yard. Second down, Tom Brady's pass for Mike Evans tipped away by Darius Leonard. His long arms really helped him get a piece of that one. The rest even looked like they wanted to call a flag on TJ Carey, but the tip ball saved him, prevented that penalty from being called. And then on third down, Brady's pass is batted down by Big DeForest Buckner. Colts D holds, they force a field goal. 31-24, to 24, still a one-possession game, but the Colts need a touchdown. Ten minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden the Colts remember that they have this guy named Jonathan Taylor. JT had eight carries for 58 yards on this drive. 
T.Y. Hilton converted a third, a key third and six, and then Taylor punches it in the very next play from four yards out. Colts tie things up at 31. Their six-and-a-half-minute drive leaves about three-and-a-half minutes left on the clock. The defense needs to stop Tom Brady one more time, just one more time. But in fact, the guy who they couldn't stop was Leonard Fournette. Fournette had 60 total yards on this final drive, including a 28-yard touchdown uh, with about 20 seconds left on the clock. I mean, the Bucks did what they wanted to do. They scored the touchdown. The Bucks milked the clock. But at least a touchdown gives the Colts a chance, a chance for a miracle, because if the Bucks, you know, if it was up to the coaches, they probably just would have let the clock go down to, I don't know, five seconds on the clock and kick the field goal here. Uh, what were your thoughts as Fournette crossed the end zone? Because I'm thinking at least this goal gives Indy one last chance. I'll go back. I'll go back and look at the replay. I bet Brady's yelling at him, "Go down, go down." The yeah. only chance, the only chance, the Colts had uh, of pulling off the miracle was for him to score. And it's not like they let him score. He he just he just got the edge and and ran and ran through the defense. But the only chance they had was with 20 seconds to play to score, and then maybe something happens on the kickoff. And as you know, something happened on the kickoff. Yeah, something that that miracle, Colts almost had a miracle on the kickoff. Isaiah Rogers returns the kick from four yards deep in his own end zone. He's able to go 72 yards before being knocked out of the out of bounds at the 32-yard line. He almost took the distance but couldn't make one more man miss, and he almost did. He almost juked a defender, but the defender got just enough of his shoulder pad to knock him off balance and knock him out of bounds. I mean, Mike... How bonkers would Lucas Oil Stadium have gone had Isaiah Rogers tied the game up with only 20 seconds left from a kickoff? That would have been insane. It reminded me, I get flashbacks from time to time. Uh, it reminded me of Brad Pyatt against the Bucks in that 38-35 game back in whatever it was, 03 or 04, where the game was all but over, 35-14, uh, to 14, and he goes like 80 yards and gave him a chance. Gave him a chance. So, uh, like I said, it's pretty, pretty exciting, and, and you're thinking, hey, we, you know, again, from the th- it's not like you got you got to throw two two hail marys. You're at the 37 yard line, so you got a chance to actually run a couple of significant plays. Yeah, Rodgers can't get in the end zone, but he gives the Colts an opportunity uh, to do a little more than just a hail mary. Ten seconds left. The Colts have a timeout. Uh, they need 32 yards to get into the end zone. First down pass for Jack Doyle. Falls incomplete, uh, which leaves time for about one more desperation heave. And to add insult to injury, Wentz's final pass is intercepted for the Colts' fifth turnover of the day. The Buccaneers complete the comeback win 38-31. to Mike, I was, uh, I was talking to a coworker walking in today. We kind of went into this two-game stretch with the Bills and the Bucks, and said those are two wonderful teams. If the Colts can go one and one during this stretch, it'd be a, a success. The Colts almost went two and zero. They still went one and one, and yet it feels like a failure due to the nature of this loss. I mean, my coworker said sometimes I'd rather wish they would just lose by three touchdowns and not rip your heart out and have the game right there. I mean, the Colts. 
should have won this game. They had every opportunity to win this game. It was more so that they lost it. Um, just, just a horrible way to win for the Colts, and it really, really opens up a lot of questions. Well, I think what we're going to see is, uh, ho- hopefully not, but but at the end of the season, you say, boy, uh, and, and you'll point to three games. You're going to point to the Baltimore overtime game, the Tennessee overtime game, and this one to where one or two plays. I mean, we're not talking, you know, if if twelve things had happened, no, you know, it, 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 I go back to Baltimore. Make one one play on defense. One, stop a two point conversion. You know that's all you have to do in Tennessee, and then this one again. Uh, so much went into what went wrong here. Uh, a few penalties. You know, I think there were three sacks, and we'll get into how Jonathan Taylor didn't have the ball enough. Probably, I can't get past. I I I tend to oversimplify. I look at the five turnovers and. Went back and looked at since they were came to Indy in '84, they're now two and twenty-one with five plus turnovers. They won two games in, in thirty plus years. So you just and, and that's against anybody. And then you do it against Tom Brady, who who has a wealth of talent around him. It's kind of crazy. We had we haven't even mentioned other than the fumble. We haven't even mentioned Evans and Godwin because they weren't factors. It, but but he had Gronk and he had Fournette. So. It's this at the end of the season will be perhaps what the Colts didn't do that, that got them where they are. And you're right. We talked, I, I talked about get to 10 and seven, which meant you had to beat Buffalo, Tampa, or Arizona. One of the three. Well, then you beat Buffalo and you say, well, let's, let's get greedy. You know, let, let's go ahead and try to get something done here. And the one thing that's really, in their favor is they're still very much, very much in the playoff hunt. They, and what really would drive me crazy, I, this is why I can't be a coach or a GM, I would still be kicking and moaning over those overtime losses because the overtime loss to Tennessee really, really makes the division difficult to get. You're, what, uh, three down with five to play, is it, I think? Including tiebreakers. Well, and, and, and the tiebreaker is it, it, it certainly factors in because Tennessee may they, they may be so beat up that they can't function right now. But I just the missed opportunities. The Colts have this is a crazy stat. They've had a double digit lead in nine straight games. The Colts have nine games, and they've lost three of them. And it's and it's the three that that really are are going to cripple them with. Baltimore, remember twenty-two to three at Baltimore, and Tennessee, I think, was fourteen zero, and then this one. So uh, they just they just do just enough to make you think they're there, and just enough to keep you from getting there. Yeah, they're they're they show time and time again that they're just right on the cusp of being one of the real contenders in the AFC, but for one reason or another, excluding the Bills game there seems to be something holding the Colts back in all these games. We'll see if they can uh, turn that around going forward. Before we well, get well, into... Well, 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 one, th- one thing on that, things holding them back, and this will be a podcast probably at the end of the season. What's holding them back are holes on the roster. Left, left tackle is an issue. It is an issue. It was an issue coming into the season, and it is now. Receivers. The, the the second receiver is a massive problem. You know, it's Michael Pittman or nobody. 
the tight ends kind of flash at that or the running backs. And in the pass rush, they're getting they're getting really, really good play from Quiddy Pay, occasional play from Buckner, who's just getting engulfed by double teams, and nobody else. There's no other outside pass rush. Kamoko Ture had, I think, is he got three sacks and two of them in one game, I think it was, or whatever. Ben Bangu can't get on the field. Uh, it, it, you know, losing Taekwon Lewis is huge. So it, it's areas that we had sort of red flagged coming into the season. We're finding out that they are still issues now. They most certainly are. Thankfully, uh, what could have been a big issue with DeForest Buckner's knee apparently did not turn out to be as bad as it looked when he was rolling on the field in pain. Um, he was able to come back into the game, got a sack on Tom Brady, knocked a pass away. Uh, I'm sure you'll get an update from Frank Wright when you uh, talk with them later today about what exactly happened with Buckner and Snee. Were there any other injuries that uh, I missed in this one? I don't think so. And we all were expecting the worst on DeForest Buckner. Uh, some players, it's kind of some players sort of uh, stay down like they want to get FaceTime on TV. DeForest Buckner's not one of them. Uh, when he's down, he stayed down for a long time. He limped off, then he went in the blue tent for some checks, and then he came back out. So I think they may have dodged one there because, I again, it looked like it was pretty serious with the right knee. Uh, Darius Leonard, again, I thought he played really, really well on that ankle. Uh, I think 15 tackles in, in the, the forced fumble. So, no, other than that, I think they came away in pretty good shape. That's good because, I mean, this would be up for debate, but I think I'd rather have DeForest Buckner for the rest of the year and lose this game than the other way around. He's that important to this defense, who's going to have to have a nice final stretch, stretch if the Colts are going to make the playoffs. All right, let's get into takeaways here. We will certainly talk about Jonathan Taylor's lack of uh, carries in the third quarter in just a second. But, I mean, the number one takeaway Five turnovers, it's hard not, it's just hard to ignore that. The Colts entered the afternoon with a league best plus 15 turnover differential. Uh, they had just 10 turnovers in their first 11 games, including none in their past three games. But turnovers were huge in this one. The Buccaneers had 24 points off of turnovers, 24 of their 38. It made a huge difference. Um, Mike, you already noted that since 84, the Colts are two and 21 when they've had five turnovers in the game. This was the first time that they had five turnovers and scored 31 points. So the, the, the team was still able to put points up on the board. It's like, not like the offense completely just fell on their face, which I'm sure was the case in some of these other, uh, five turnover games, but it, it just, they just kept shooting themselves in the foot. It's the third time the Colts have lost a game with a double-digit lead this season, and they just they just can't keep doing that to themselves. Takeaway number two, the Colts, this is how I put it. You know, with Jonathan Taylor, um, you look at the record when he does and doesn't rush for 100 yards. The Colts are yet to show that they can win in different ways. They're 0-6 when JT doesn't rush for 100 yards, 6-0 this season, when he does, Taylor finished with 16 carries for 83 yards and a rushing touchdown. He also had four catches on five targets for 14 yards. But there was a stretch, Mike, where 
Wins dropped back to pass 26 straight times. Um, Wins's fir- uh, Taylor's first rush attempt came with a 10 minutes left in the first quarter. Uh, first rush attempt in the second half, that is. So he didn't, he didn't get a single rush in the third quarter. In that third quarter, the Colts ran 17 plays, zero handoffs. It's not like they gave it to Hines up the middle or anything else. They just abandoned the run completely, although JT did have three targets in that third quarter, so it's not like they completely ignored Jonathan Taylor. But, Mike, this is, again, a game where the Buccaneers, they came in with the number one rush defense and it's been like that in Tampa Bay for years they've had a good rush defense it's not like this is a case of oh they haven't they haven't played anybody number one rush defense we knew the Colts were going to have to make a few plays in the passing game to win this one Carson Wentz threw the ball 44 times the second most he has this season he completed 27 of those for 300 yards three touchdowns two interceptions although one was the Hail Mary at the end it just In games where Carson Wentz has to carry them, the passing game has to carry them, they lose. His top five pass attempt games in this season, 51 against Tennessee at home, loss. 44 against Tampa Bay, loss. 38 against Seattle, loss. 37 at Tennessee, loss. 35 at Baltimore, loss. Uh, The Colts, in their six wins, um, Carson Wentz averages 27 pass attempts in their six losses. Carson Wentz averages 39 pass attempts. It, it just all comes back to when the Colts can't rely on Jonathan Taylor in the run game, when they have to win in a different way, when they have to win by means of Carson Wentz's arm in the passing game, they have not been able to do that this year. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can make numbers, say what you want them to, and they're wrong. But yeah, this this speaks volumes. And, and this, in my mind, this isn't so much 26 straight passes. I think sometimes in a vacuum that makes sense. But in context, I mean, eight, eight of those passes were at the end of the first half in the two minutes, so you're going to throw the ball. And it, it just – I guess I'm torn. It, it, I thought it was a statistical anomaly, if you want to put it that way. I thought it was just really 26 straight. But it does open you up for bad plays. Uh, would we be having this discussion had Eric Fisher not gotten beat so badly and there's not a strip sack and all that? Or if Hines hasn't fumbled, then, then Hunt, he, he throws these four, maybe 40 passes and they win. Then it's not an issue. But it's an issue because they, they lose. I, I guess I didn't have a problem first half running the ball as seldom as they did. The average, I think Taylor was three yards a carry. It was obvious they, that Tampa Bay was not going to let him be Jonathan Taylor. And at what point does a coaching staff say, we're not going to run bad plays. We're not just going to waste plays trying to prove that, that we're better than you are when on this day you weren't as far as running the ball. Uh the third quarter with, with no attempts by Jonathan Taylor was it's funny if you look at the box score where it's got it itemized on who does what, there's just a big white hole under Colts rushing. Because there wasn't anybody. So I I don't have a real problem with the twenty six straight plays. Uh although you've got to get Taylor the ball more. 
it's just I, I just can't get over the fact that if 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 Fisher doesn't get blown up by Barrett, and if Hines doesn't put the ball on the ground, it, it, it then it's it's sort of a non-factor. But when you lose, everything's up for grabs. I mean, people are all over Frank on his play calling, and, and rightly so. But no one was complaining when he had the great RPO touchdown to to Jack Doyle at the goal line and the two fourth and one calls. So it, it's 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 sort of I know it comes with the position of being a head coach and a quarterback. But to your point on, on relying too much on Wentz, they sort of told that told us that when he came here, we don't want him to be Superman. We don't want him to be a to play hero ball. And when the the more more times than not, the more quarterback throws, the more bad things happen, primarily losses. I mean, all the you know, the five hundred yard days in NFL history, they're generally losses because you're throwing from behind. And uh, I, I, I just I have a hard time coming too heavy down on the on the twenty six straight passes, although I still so here I want, I want my cake and eat it too. At the same time JT needs more than what he had, I think he had 20 touches in the game, 16 rushes in in, in four receptions. Uh, when you lose, there's a lot of things that you point to, and this is going to be one of them. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not going to say this loss. This loss is certainly not on Frank Wright. It's on the turnovers and the lack of execution by the players. I will give maybe a little and we also don't know how many run pass options that Wentz just decided to pass or check out of runs when there was an eight-man box whatever it might be the only bit of blame I'll give for them not running the ball more in the third quarter is it avoids some of those bad plays the the strip sack you know first and 10 around the 20 why not a handoff right there uh I get you know hindsight's 2020 but it just the more opportunities you give Carson Wentz to turn the ball over, the more he's going to turn the ball over. Whether the strip sack was his fault, whether the interception to Michael Pittman Jr. I mean, I really don't think that was a egregious interception by any means. That's going to happen from time to time when you give your guy a chance down the field. Tom Brady had a similar interception trying to give his guy a chance down the field, but. When you call more passes, there's more of a risk that those things are going to happen. That's why running the ball is just simply safer. That's why teams run the ball when they're trying to milk the clock. Um, but it's, on the flip side of that, the pass was working. They were going up and down the field. I mean, until the strip sack happened, the pass was looking good. It got the Colts into Tampa Bay territory. They were moving the ball again before the interception. Um, I, I can't blame them for passing the ball more than running in the third quarter because the pass was working, whereas in the run in the first half was not working. So um, I, I think this is obviously, you know, something if you lose, you're going to find something to blame. But I think the turnovers are much more to blame in this one than the play calling was. I, I really don't have much of a problem with your play calling philosophy being let's stick with what's working in this game, which was the pass. Um Last last takeaway from this one, I mean, man, I, I have some mixed feelings about that defensive performance. They did some good things. But at the end of the day, like has happened in a couple other games this year, the defense needed one more stop. They needed one more stop, and they couldn't get it. Uh, I mean, they, they started the game pretty hot. Tampa Bay's first four drives, punt, fumble, 
punt, punt. But then the Colts allowed a score on six of Tampa Bay's final eight drives, excluding the kneel down to end the first half. Um, And, I mean, we talk about winning in different ways. Going into this game, Tampa Bay had the best passing offense. Tom Brady led the league in uh, passing yards per game. He led the league in touchdowns. Well, in this one, they leaned on the run game because that's what they needed to do to win. Tom Brady, 226 passing yards, one touchdown, one pick. But it was Leonard Fournette who ran for 100 yards, three touchdowns on the ground. He also had seven catches for 31 yards and another touchdown. I mean, the Buccaneers on the ground in total, 142 rushing yards and four touchdowns on 27 carries. That's 5.3 yards per carry. So that Colts defense uh, that at times has been really good against the run was not in this one, as I'm sure they focused more of their attention trying to slow down Tom Brady in the pass. Uh, Another thing that's become a trend here is tight ends really giving the Colts issues. Gronkowski caught seven of his 10 targets for 123 yards. So, Mike, I'd really be interested to hear your uh, thoughts on how that defense for the Colts played because while they did some nice things, two turnovers, they got a few key stops when they needed them, played well in the first half. Down the stretch, they gave up too many points. I just don't trust the defense. I I just don't. Hopefully they'll get Kahari Willis back soon. At safety, obviously Blackman's out for the year, but I just, I, I just don't trust it to make that key stop in the second half in the fourth quarter. It, they're still coming up with takeaways. They had two more takeaways, but I, I just think it's so hard. Like you said, they, they have trouble with tight ends. You know, still having flashbacks to Mark Andrews in Baltimore with what he did. So. Uh, it needs to play better. I don't know how they play better because, again, they've got some injuries. And, you know, I think they're getting a lot more out of Isaiah Rogers than they anticipated at corner. But, uh, again, asking for one more stop against Tom Brady is a, tough, is a tough task. But that's what they needed, and they couldn't do it. That's right. So we'll have to see uh, if they can bounce back next week. Let's go ahead and take a look around the AFC South. Colts drop back to 500. They're now 6-6. Six and six. The Titans fall to 8-4 and four after losing in New England 36-13. to 13. It's Tennessee's second loss in the row, uh, but the Colts' loss means they're still two games back plus the tiebreaker, so really three games back in the division. Tennessee's remaining schedule at home against Jacksonville, at Pittsburgh, at home against San Francisco, at home against the Dolphins, and then at Houston, so not, not really the toughest end of the season for Tennessee there. Um, you look at the Texans, who the Colts are coming up against this week. The Texans could not handle the Jets on Sunday. They lost 21-14. to Houston is 2-9 and on the year. They currently hold the second pick in the NFL draft. And the Jaguars are also 2-9 and after losing to the Falcons 21-14. to The Jaguars would have the third overall pick in the draft if the season were to end the today. Let's go ahead and look at this playoff picture as a whole in the AFC. Uh, number one, Baltimore. They move up and take the top spot after beating Cleveland on Sunday night. The Ravens are 8-3. and three. Number two is the New England Patriots. They are 8-4. and four. Uh, I believe they've won six games in a row, so they are red hot. Number three, 
the Tennessee Titans. They are eight and four after losing a couple of games. At number four, there the Kansas City Chiefs. They are seven and four, and those are your four division leaders in the AFC. Looking at this congested wild card picture here. Uh, currently, Cincinnati has the five seed. They're seven and four. They just stomped Pittsburgh, forty-one to ten. Buffalo is in the sixth seed after their bounce back win over the Saints on Thanksgiving. The Bills are seven and four themselves. And then in that final playoff seed, uh, number seven there, the LA Chargers are six and five. They just lost to Denver, twenty-eight to thirteen. You never know what you're going to get out of the Chargers from week to week. Um, let's look at those bubble teams, Denver, third, currently in eighth place in the AFC with a six and five record after that win over the chargers, the Raiders are six and five, they're ninth. Uh, you know, I, and a lot of Colts fans were rooting for Dallas on Thanksgiving to pull out the win over the Raiders, but they couldn't do it and help the Colts out. So the Raiders are six and five and then comes Indianapolis they're 10th in the AFC with a 6 and 6 record. Behind them are the Browns at 6 and 6 and the Steelers at 5 5 and 1. So a lot of teams still volleying for those uh last three wild card spots there. You look at the rest of the Colts schedule at Houston, which we'll preview on Thursday. Then the Colts have a bye. And then they host New England. They play at Arizona on Christmas. Then they host the Raiders, New England Raiders. Those are going to be huge AFC games there. And then the Colts end their season at Jacksonville, which we know um, from recent history is not a given. Uh, But, Mike, looking at this AFC playoff picture here, it's all ahead of Indianapolis. I mean, I think their fate is still very much in their own hands. They play a couple AFC teams coming down the stretch. Those will be big games. Um, and then a lot of these AFC teams are playing each other, so they're uh, definitely due to beat each other up a little bit. But give me your thoughts on the Colts' playoff uh, hopes, the Colts' playoff picture with just a few more weeks to go. Still pretty good. I mean, it's still pretty good. If they if they win, you know, 4-1 and one I think certainly gets them in. I really do think 4-1 and one gets them in. 3-2 and two could get them in because – so many of these teams in that cluster with them, they play each other, whether it's going to be the NFC West, AFC North, with with Cleveland and Pittsburgh, and then you got, again, the Raiders. I, I, every week you think you know that this team's on a roll and is playing pretty well, and then they just they, they, they don't. Uh, so I, I, I still like their chances. But, again, I, the, the, the game that just kind of jumps out at you is, is the New England game. Uh, they, they, they're suddenly, like you said, the, the number two seed playing really, really well. And that game was flexed to that Saturday night, I believe it was. So, uh, the, the important thing is they've got, they got Houston and Jacksonville and then they've got the, the Raiders and, uh, uh, Patriots, two teams that you're going to be in the mix with. So win those and, and you've got, you know, if it comes down to it, tiebreakers, head to head tiebreakers. So. It's still there. It just it never feels like it's still there when you come off a game against the Patriots that you you know at your core think it was right there to win. Yeah, we got the the Patriots will be a big game because the Colts you know with the win over the Bills if they could beat the Patriots and whatever team ends up winning that AFC East the other team's going to be a wild card 
contenders. So it'd be great if the Colts could have the tiebreaker against those two teams if it comes down to it. The Raiders game is going to be huge too. I'm sure uh, Las Vegas will be in the mix at the end of the season. So to have the tiebreaker over Vegas would be great. Then they just need to handle business against lesser teams like Houston and Jacksonville and see where things take them. I mean, at Arizona, it's going to be tough because one would expect Kyler Murray to be back by then. Who knows about DeAndre Hopkins? A hamstring injury can be tricky. But Murray, after about a month off, his ankle should be getting close to ready to go. The Cardinals were on a bye this past week. So it's all still ahead of the Colts there as they gear up and hope to make a final playoff push. Uh, to do that, they certainly can't have any more five turnover games. But then again, I think this is a better team than that. I wouldn't expect them to have another five turnover game. And we will be previewing their next game on Thursday as the Colts trying to forget about the Buccaneers game and move on to Houston. Tyrod Taylor and that Houston Texans team that just two weeks ago beat the Titans. So they're going to have to make sure they don't overlook the Texans there. Mike, before we get out of here, any last words? Nope. Just looking forward to a, a game again in Houston. I'll tell you, if nothing else, losing to Tampa Bay, it will get it would allow Frank Reich to get the team's attention to say, now now we can't afford a slip-up against Houston. Maybe if you're coming off wins against Buffalo and Tampa, you do feel really good about yourself. And it's a, I hate to use the word trap game, because this is the NFL and you shouldn't have those, but there should be no reason whatsoever for these guys to, to overlook the 2-9 and nine Texans at all. I like that. We'll, we'll end the show on a looking through a positive glass at the Buccaneers' loss. Hope the Colts not lose to Houston next week. There we I go. Love it. I love it. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Again, I am Joe Hopkins. You can follow me on Twitter at Roto Street Joe. Follow Mike on Twitter at MChapel51. Follow the Blue Zone on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone. We'll keep you updated throughout the week on everything that has to do with the Indianapolis Colts. And we will be back Thursday. So until then, you take it easy, Colts fans. 